So have you ever had to beg for something? Ever had to beg for something? Maybe it was that quiz at school and the teacher said, time's up. And you were not ready for time to be up. And so you begged just for one more minute so you could finish up that last question. Maybe you begged one Christmas for an official Red Rider carbon action 200-shot long-range air rifle. Maybe you begged for that one Christmas. Maybe you begged your sister not to tell your parents that you had chipped a little bit off of the antique vase that belonged to your great-grandmother when you were throwing the football around the house. Maybe you begged her not to say anything to mom and dad. Maybe you begged the waitress to go back over the dessert list just one more time. Even though you had already ordered and eaten dessert, you wanted to hear it all just, just one more time. Or maybe that's just me. Frederick Callison is 52 years old. He is a former line cook, but he's been homeless for two years. He stands on the corner of Watt Avenue and Arden Way in Sacramento, California every day, but he, he doesn't stand on the corner in front of this particular store asking for money. He stands on the corner of this particular store and he hands out his resume in white envelopes to anybody who comes by. He earns the right to stand in front of that store by, by going and, and taking up the carts in the parking lot and getting them back to where they're supposed to be. So they let him stand and, and hand out his resume. In a creative way, Frederick is begging for a job. Maybe you've had to beg like that. Maybe you've been in a situation that was a lot more important than just begging for an extra minute on a quiz or begging for the dessert list to be read one more time. Maybe you've had to beg a spouse not to leave. Maybe you've had to, to beg one of your kids to stop bullying other kids at school. Maybe you had to beg one of your older kids to stop abusing drugs. Maybe you had to beg your boss not to let you go. Maybe you had to beg the doctor to run the test one more time because you wanted to hear something different. We probably all have had at least one hard moment of begging in life. Or maybe you're here this morning and, and you're thinking to yourself, I've never begged for anything. Everything I have, I've gotten from my own hard work. I've, I've earned it all. Nobody's ever given me anything. I've never begged. And if so, if, if that is how your heart and your mind is, then this may be hard to hear, but you are a lot worse off than homeless Frederick. Because you don't realize how needy you are. You don't realize how much you've been given. You don't realize how quickly you can be on the corner handing out your resume in a white envelope. You don't realize how quickly today could be the day that you breathe your last breath. What if I were to tell you that one of the most important and noble things that you could do in your life is to beg? Now, I'm not talking about the, the kind of begging where you go stand out on the street corner and, and instead of working, you, you ask for money. It's a, it's a begging that's different than that. It's the kind of begging that involves fighting against pride. It's the kind of begging that involves loving other people in the same way that you love yourself. 
It's the kind of begging that might last for years and years and years. And it's the kind of begging that will increase joy in your life. So what kind of begging is that? Well, let's find out. Luke chapter 11, beginning with verse 5 and on through verse 7. This is what Jesus says. Then he said to them, Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me from a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And from inside he answers and says, Do not bother me. The door has already been shut and my children and I are in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. Jesus has been talking about prayer. He's teaching his disciples about prayer. He's given them a guide, a pattern, a, a model prayer, so to speak. And this is what he said thus far, just a, a few sentences back, beginning with verse 2. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. So Jesus begins and he says all prayer is, is starting with God and it is about God. God is hallowed, he is holy, he is other, there is no one like him. So we begin there, there's nobody like God. And Jesus says we pray that God's kingdom would, would keep cranking along. That God would be honored and he would be enjoyed as the, the ruler and the king of all of creation. And then he gives us some gimmies that we're supposed to pray. Give me, give me bread. God, God, provide the food and the money and the shelter and the resources I need just for today. And he says, give me forgiveness. You need to pray for forgiveness. God, please, would you help me today not to be suffocated by sin? God, would you help me today to, to not hold my sin over my head? And then he says, give me compassion. We need to pray for compassion. We need to pray to quickly forgive people when they sin against us. We need to pray that we would not hold people's sins over their heads. And then he says, give me strength. He says, we need to pray, God, would you help me not to be tempted to think that my ways are better than your ways? God, would you help me not to believe the lies of the enemy, Satan, the one who hates my guts? And that's how he begins teaching his disciples and us how to pray. And then he takes that model prayer and he, he puts it a little bit into, into real life, a real life scenario. He, he gives a parable, gives an illustration. And the illustration is a, a what if, of course not scenario. What if slash, of course not scenario. What does that mean? Well, what if your best friend his wife has a terrible, terrible day at work. She has to leave work early to go to a doctor's appointment that she's really concerned about. She's a little anxious. And so she goes to her doctor's appointment, and she leaves, and she's still a little bit worried, and she goes by to the daycare to pick up their toddler. And then she begins to make her way back home, and the day's been so stressful, she's been so out of it, she's been so worried that she completely is not paying attention to the fact that she is about to run out of gas. And she does. She, she accidentally runs out of gas on the side of the road. 
And they don't have any roadside assistance. They're not a part of some club that somebody will come and bring her gas. And your buddy, he's in Pocahontas, Arkansas. He's on a business slash duck hunting trip. But here's the thing. She broke down on the road that he knows you go home every single day. So he calls you. He knows you're about to get off work. And he says, hey, man, can you please go help my wife? Are you going to say, man, I would love to, but it's half-price wing night at Pistol Peach Chicken Shack next door to my office. And, man, I, I'm going to be there for hours. I'm going to watch some hoops, eat some... I, there's no way I can go help your wife. Of course not. <laughs> That's not going to be your answer. Your best friend calls and says his wife's in need, his toddler's in need. You're going to say, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to grab my stuff and, and head that way right now. Jesus puts a, a what-if, of course not scenario in the middle of teaching about prayer. He lets us know that there's something very practical, not just something magical and mystical about prayer. This whole scene has a little bit of humor in it, a little bit of, of sarcastic humor in it, so to speak. I've kind of summarized this in, in this way, hopefully in an easier way for us today to think through. Hey, it's Fred. Get out of bed. My face is red. I need some bread. Pretty much the scene, in a, in a way. And so Jesus is using this as his illustration to teach about prayer. So, so what does it mean? And what does it have to do with prayer? Well, let's think about it a little bit in the historical background of the scene. So Fred has a friend that comes in the middle of the night, sometime after midnight. They've been on a journey, and they show up at his house sometime after midnight. Now, my mom always says that nothing good happens after midnight. So, of course, there's no way this guy's really Fred's friend, you know, because he came after midnight. But he shows up after midnight. He's, he's probably tired, probably hungry, and, and Fred is, is wanting to help him out. But the problem is, is that Fred doesn't have any bread. He, he didn't have a way to help him out. Now, we might think, hey, no big deal, just... You know, go out to the freezer. You know, grab, grab a Hot Pocket. Go nuke that thing in the microwave for him. It's fine. You can take care of it. Remember, Jesus is telling this parable about 2,000 years ago. So there were no easy-bake ovens and there was no 24-hour Zippy Mart that you could run out to. Fred's in need. And you might think, well, God, he, he didn't have anything to feed this guy? <laughs> what kind of miser is Fred? He didn't have a scrap of bread in his house? Well, it's a little bit deeper than that. Every single one of us grew up in probably one of two types of homes. You either grew up in a leftover house or in a non-leftover house. You know what I mean by that, right? Either you ate leftovers or you didn't eat leftovers. I grew up in a leftover house. I think leftovers are one of the greatest things that God ever stirred a man to create. But some of you would not touch a leftover if your life depended on it. I get it. And, and that doesn't make you snobby. It doesn't. That doesn't make you overly obsessed with having fresh food. It doesn't. It just means you have not learned to enjoy the finer things in life. <laughs> Namely, cold pizza or cold fried chicken. You know, you, you, you've just missed out on two of the greatest things in the world. Well, in ancient times, there was no way you would give leftovers to a guest. I mean, it, it was beyond 
rude. It was beyond unkind. Lig Duncan has described the time of Christ in this way. He says that, that what they did during those days was so much more pronounced and deeper than southern hospitality. It was a lot more serious. He even described it like a, like a wedding in the deep south. You can picture that, right? A wedding in the deep south in, in a quaint little town. And it's a, it's a big wedding. It's a, it's a big to-do. The service is held at the, the big, beautiful, historical sanctuary at First Church in, in downtown. And then the, the reception is held outside of town at the big, beautiful, historic plantation. I mean, it is swanky. I mean, the big time stuff. They got the linen cloth and the linen napkins. They got the real china and they got the, the silverware. They got the little calligraphy name tags right at every single place. And, and the guy who's your waiter at your table, white tie, I mean black tie, white shirt, he, he comes over and he goes, look, sorry, there's, there's been a menu problem today. And then he comes back over a few minutes later and he lays on the plate in front of you a, a big, huge slice of cold meathead pizza. And then he takes a plastic store brand cup of butterscotch pudding and he sticks it right over by your dessert fork. Now, in the deep south, something like that would cause many a bride and many a bride's mother to have to be resuscitated long before the cake was cut. Big stuff. So when the disciples hear Jesus talking this way, they're, they're not confused. They're not perplexed. They realize it was much more than southern hospitality. They realize you would never give a guest old food. You'd never give them leftovers. You'd try to give them your best. And so Fred is, is looking maybe for a best in this moment as a, as a whole loaf of bread. Not, not a scrap, but a, but a whole loaf. And, and so he goes looking for some bread. But he didn't have any. So he goes to a friend's house. And he knocks on his friend's door looking for bread. Now remember, it's after midnight. Okay? So Fred shows up after midnight asking for bread. I mean, how many of you guys are going to get excited about, you know, muting Jimmy Fallon so you can hear one of your friends yelling at your front door, hey man, I need three Hot Pockets. Come on, come help me. Most of us would not like for somebody to show up after midnight. It's a little different though back in these days. We would call what they had kind of a, a one-room house. So when Fred knocked on Barney's door looking for bread that night, he wasn't just knocking on the door that led into the, the entrance hall of the house. He wasn't knocking on the door of the foyer. Barney and Betty and Bam Bam and Barney Jr. and Hoppy and Toonses the Cat, the whole crowd, they're all right on the other side of the door, all snuggled up in one big huge futon in the middle of the room. That, that's the scene of what life was like. So Fred's not just knocking on the door, he's knocking on a door very close to the entire family. And remember, there's no electricity. And you wouldn't waste oil lamp to stay up late. So they've been asleep for hours. Maybe even since close to sundown. And so Fred knocks on the door and says, hey, I need something. And what does Barney say? Barney says, man, I, I can't help you. The door's already shut. And the door is not like our door. It wouldn't be like, you know, you just turn the lock on the knob and then maybe a deadbolt. 
Someone has described doors in that day as, as being like a huge two-by-four. And you put that huge two-by-four on these huge slats on the back of the door. So to move all of that and try to open the door after midnight would definitely wake everybody up. So Fred knocks on the door and says, hey man, I need some bread. What does Barney do? Barney says, man, go away. <laughs> go away. The door's already shut. Look, we, my wife and my kids, we, we're already asleep. Do you know how long it takes to get kids to sleep, Fred? What are you doing? Just go away. I cannot help you. Go away. We feel that, right? We can imagine where Barney's coming from, right? I mean, everybody's asleep. It's the middle of the night. The door's shut. I can't help you. But who is it that Fred is wanting bread for? Fred's showing up late at night to mooch some food. Why? He's not doing it for himself. It's for somebody else. A few days, a few weeks before Jesus was teaching this, he was teaching his disciples about something else. And just one chapter back, Luke writes down what he said to him on that day. And this is what he said. Luke 10, verse 27. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says to his friends, look, you guys are going to need to love other people in the same way you love yourself. So whatever money you want for yourself, whatever food you want for yourself, whatever house you want for yourself, whatever car, whatever vacation, whatever fun, whatever it is that you would want for yourself, you should love other people in such a way that you would want them to have the same kind of things. And that if you have the ability to help out, that you would actually even help them toward having those things. Jesus says we need to love like that. So Fred is not banging on Barney's door because he's getting ready to pull an all-nighter. He's not banging on his door because he's getting ready to binge watch the final season of, of Andy Griffith. And, and he ran out of bread for his fancy balsamic vinegar and olive oil dip, and so he's coming over for some bread. No, he's, he's coming over because he has a need. Someone has showed up unexpected, and he wants to serve them. He needs to serve them. But he can't. So he turns to a friend for help. And I would say, like many of us probably would do, Barney says, man, you, you got to go away. I can't help you. It's late and you need to go. Then Jesus throws this interesting curve into his parable. Look at verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So Fred clearly hears Barney say, go away. And so what does he do? Well, he leans into the door and he says, hey, it's Fred. Get out of bed. My face is red. I, I need some bread. He just keeps going. And we might say, well, he's being annoying. Someone has said he was being annoyingly relentless. Jesus says he's being persistent. This word for persistence is interesting. It, it kind of means shameless in a social sense. So what Fred is doing is he is breaking the social norm by going over and persistently begging his friend after midnight 
for something that he needs. He's, he's breaking the rules, so to speak. And this is how Jesus breaks the scene down. Basically what he says is this. Barney is not going to give Fred bread because Fred's his friend. He's not going to do it. Not because he's his friend. But because Fred will not stop knocking. Because he won't stop asking. Barney will give him anything he wants just to get him to go away. So what does this have to do with prayer? Why is this the illustration that Jesus gives in the middle of teaching his disciples how to pray? Is Jesus saying, hey, all you got to do is go knock on God's door long enough and loud enough that eventually he'll get out of bed and he'll come give you whatever it is that you want? No, that's not what he's saying. Psalm 121, verse 4. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. God doesn't sleep. So you can't bang long enough or beg loud enough to wake him up to get what you want. Because he's always awake. God is always listening. He is always in control. And he always cares. He always cares. So what does Jesus mean? Well, remember, this is a what-if, of course not scenario. So if you go over to your best friend's house after midnight, and you have a need, and you persistently beg him for help, is your friend going to say to you, look, man, I can't help you. My kids are asleep. No, of course not. Your best friend is going to do what he can to help you. He's going to try to help. He's going to respond. And so Jesus says in this parable this. If your best friend who owns his house, maybe owns a couple of cars, has some money in the bank, maybe some retirement, if he would listen to your persistent begging and respond and try to help, then why would you think the one who spoke the world into existence, the one who owns every single acre of land on every planet in the universe, the one who has galaxies at his feet like they are sand, why would you think that he would not listen? Why do you think that he would not try to help? Hey, it's Fred. Man, get out of bed. My, my face is red and I, I really need some bread. And unlike your friend, the God of the universe says this. I know, Fred. I know. Hey, look, I'm, I'm not in bed. I'm, I'm not asleep. I'm always awake. I know your need before you know your need. I can always see your face. I'm always in control. I'm always listening. I always care. And I always answer your prayers. Hang on, preacher. I think you, think you got that last part wrong. 
That's not true. God doesn't always answer our prayers. You may be thinking that. You may say, yeah, that that didn't happen with me. God didn't answer my prayer. My spouse is still trying to leave, or they left. My kid kept beating up kids at school and got suspended and kicked out. My kid's still strung out on drugs. I don't even know where he is. I did get laid off by my boss. The doctor did run the test again, and it came back with the same bad news. Now, God left me outside the door. He left me begging in the rain. He does not answer prayer. Listen, I I will not give you any religious cliches to try to help you feel better about the pain and the hurt and the confusion and the frustration of whatever prayer you think didn't get answered or whatever prayer you think God is not answering. But I do just want to give you two things. Just just two things. The first thing is about Jesus. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross. The greatest prayer that has ever been answered in your life, you didn't even pray. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God, bore your sins in his body on the cross. And he did that about 2,000 years before you even existed. And if you trust in and rely on and believe in and cling to Jesus as your greatest treasure, then please know this. Jesus died to be your biggest and ultimate promoter, supporter, defender, redeemer, and friend. He longs to be your Savior all the time. The second thing is not about Jesus. It's, it's from Jesus. Just a few verses back. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, your kingdom come. What does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that persistently praying, begging God in prayer, means that eventually you can twist God's arm and He'll give you what you want. That, that's not what it means to beg in prayer. What it means is that when you beg and persistently pray, what happens is that that twisted attitude that tells you that you need someone or something more than Jesus, that gets washed away over time. In other words, every single time you pray, your kingdom come, you begin to feel more and more every day that there is an answer to all of your prayers. Because with every single prayer, You are more confident. You're more encouraged. You're more astounded that Jesus Christ bore your sin in His own body on the cross. And you get more and more and more amazed about that. And over time, you begin to say, oh, wait a minute, the greatest prayer of my life has been answered. The one thing I need more than anything has been taken care of. 
Courtney Reisig put it this way. Sometimes God answers our prayers immediately. We pray for a job offer in the morning and get a phone call by dinner. But sometimes he answers prayer more slowly. When we are in the position of waiting for God to act, to remedy a situation, to heal an illness, to bring a wayward child home, and we don't see any light at the end of the tunnel, it can overwhelm us and cause unbelief to surface. When God is silent, we're often tempted to doubt His goodness. We're tempted to doubt His promises can really be true. We doubt He will answer our prayers. And then she says this, The reality is there are no unanswered prayers. A no now doesn't mean a no forever. God is often masterminding a thousand details behind the tapestry of our lives and we only get to see three of them. Sometimes we see them immediately. Sometimes we don't for years. Sometimes we don't see them until we're with Him in eternity. And yet the truth remains, God is still in the business of answering our prayers. Here's what that means. When someone comes and asks you, so if you beg in prayer for something, if you're persistent, if you, if you beg God in prayer, and God doesn't give you what you're praying for, don't you think that you start thinking that God doesn't care about you? Don't you think that if you beg God for something and you don't get it, that, that God would be showing you that He doesn't really love you that much? And you would say, of course not. And they would say, why? And you would look at them with great clarity and say, because Jesus Christ bore my sins in His body on the cross.